All right. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Desk Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. It is a Monday morning review and it is a Tuesday. No, you're not going crazy. We are uh, late a day getting the show out. I'm your host, Parker Ballantyne, and thank you for tuning in. Yes, this is the Monday Morning Review, and yes, it is coming to you on a Tuesday. I was down at the football game in Las Vegas over the weekend, and with travel coming back up to Logan, I didn't find time to record the podcast to get it out on time, so we just pushed it back a day, and here I am coming at you with uh, all the recap of what happened in the conference last week, getting it geared up for our homecoming game this upcoming week uh, against Colorado State. So a big a big week. We definitely didn't want to take the take the week off um, and not put a show out because it was such a big week for Utah State uh, with really kind of two big wins for Utah State. We'll go over that. Um, but we, we definitely didn't want to miss this week, so we're just coming at you a day late. Let's jump right in. Like I said, Utah State kind of had two wins, one in Las Vegas and one in Boise. What is that supposed to mean? Well, the Air Force Falcons took down the Boise State Broncos, and as we've been talking about for a couple weeks, and like we dove into really uh, extensively last week during the bye, we needed Air Force to win that game so that we could basically control our own destiny within the conference if we continue to win. And that's exactly what happened. So Utah State is back in the driver's seat in the division, in the Mountain Division of the Mountain West Conference uh, with a fairly clear path, as wide a path as you could ask for, to the Mountain Division title and the championship game against who knows because the Western Division is in shambles. Um, It's not in shambles because it's a bunch of bad teams. It's in shambles because it's a bunch of great teams. Um, it's chaos over there is, is probably a better way to put it. Um, so if Utah State continues to win, there is now no way somebody else can ruin our chance to play in the Mountain West Championship game. At this point in the season, if we're not playing in this championship game, it's no one's fault but our own. And that being said, that would probably be an okay thing given where we are as a program. But Utah State back in the driver's seat. So let's take a look and talk about how it happened. It was a significant game on the field as well as obviously the conference uh, ramifications as well. And we'll talk about some of the other conference ramifications, of course, with our game, the Air Force game, and, and some of the other games going on in the conference when we get to that. But let's take a look at the game in UNLV at the Allegiant Stadium, a beautiful stadium that the Rebels get to play in. Um, and let's take a look at what happened because it was uh, it was a wild game. Uh, it was a wild game in the exact opposite way that the Air Force game was, where it was an absolute boat race where both teams scored a lot. It was a high-scoring game, 49-45. to 45. It was kind of the opposite against UNLV, uh, Utah State coming out on top, 28-24. to 24. Not a high-scoring game, not a clean game played by the Utah State Aggies um, or the UNLV Rebels, for that matter. Uh, but they were definitely coming out hungry for a win, and they looked they looked a lot better than their record would indicate. Like like we talked about on the show last week, and especially as as Jacob has pointed out last week, the UNLV Rebels are a pretty good team for being 0-5 at the time and now 0-6 and 
And like Coach Anderson said after the game, talking to Scotty G, they're going to get their wins eventually. I would be shocked if UNLV ended the season 0-6. And there's a way, there's different ways that UNLV season could progress. They could stay hungry. They have a new coach and a brand new stadium. They could really stick stick with this season and keep fighting and pick up, I think, a couple wins. Um of course, there's always a chance that they are now halfway through the season 0-6 and it starts to uh, get difficult to get up for some of those games. So we could see a UNLV team that once again does not pick up a win uh, throughout the season, but I, I think I'd be surprised. I think they've been kind of on the cusp of a win in a lot of their games and a lot of their losses, and I think they're gonna. I think they're going to get their wins, and if it's not this season, it's going to be next season. It's going to be soon. I think going forward, UNLV is definitely a team to watch out for. Uh, I think Allegiant Stadium makes it a lot easier to recruit than Sam Boyd did. Uh, I think there's a lot of kids that, if they are on the fence about UNLV, the fact that they get to play half their games in Allegiant is probably going to be a significant uh, factor uh, for those athletes that are kind of on the fence uh, between UNLV and some other schools. I, I think that's a huge draw for the program. And not even in recruiting, I think it's a way for UNLV to sell a lot more tickets and make a lot more revenue. Uh, Allegiant, just as everything else in the entire city of Las Vegas, is designed to be a money-making machine. So you're, I think you're going to see an influx of cash and talent into the UNLV program. So I would keep an eye on that moving forward. Um, but like I said, not not a super, not a not a super easy team. It wasn't a gimme game, uh, as a lot of us kind of thought it it would have been. I kind of fell into that trap. Jacob did not, and he kind of talked us through that last week, but. They had an unbelievable running game. Charles Williams is as good a running back as I've seen all season. Um, he and Tyler Algier are probably the best running backs that we've played all year. Charles Williams was unbelievable, and he had himself a career night. Um, so let's take a look at some of his numbers. Charles Williams, a five foot nine kid out of Fresno, California, rushed for 221 yards. 221 of UNLV's 219 rushing yards. So on the ground, Charles Williams really just put the entire team on his back and really put up some numbers. He ran for three touchdowns, and his longest run was 75 yards. So an absolutely breathtaking performance by Charles Williams. Utah State could not stop the kid. He, he was just picking up yards Every single time he touched the ball, he got 27 carries and ended up with over 220 yards. So that, that was a huge part of that game is our, our inability to stop that kid and just his sheer explosiveness and his athleticism. Um, he alone ran more than Utah State's entire team did. Utah State ended up with 142 yards on the ground. Um, once again, our... Saving grace on the offensive end was our almost 300 yards in the air. We ended up with 298, all coming from the arm of Logan Bonner, mostly to Devin Tompkins, as is usually the case, as Devin Tompkins ends up with 12 touches for 180 yards, two touchdowns, and a long reception of 37 yards. He had himself a night, as did Savon Scarver, who we will talk about as well. And Logan Bonner looked really good at times, uh, minus his obligatory opening game interception, which, of course, he did have this game. 
So let's take a look at what Utah State was able to do and what they were able to and what they weren't able to do. Uh, let's start just at the top with Logan Bonner. He went 21 for 32 with 298 yards in the air, two touchdowns for his one interception. Uh, we've talked about that one interception a lot. He pretty consistently throws one to two interceptions. Uh, they almost always come early in the game. Coming into this game, he had thrown two interceptions on the opening drive in a row. This week, he gets through the opening drive, but then on the, his following drive, the second drive of Utah State's game, uh, Logan Bonner does throw an interception. So that is still something to keep an eye on, something to look at, uh, and, and quite frankly, something to worry about as we play some of these other teams. Colorado State coming up is a trap game if I've ever seen one, and Colorado State's got a great team, and you know you, you've got to start to wonder what that interception means early on and what, you know, what's going on there. Um, so the, the early interception for Logan Bonner did happen, but he, uh, made up for it with, uh, with two touchdowns and 298 yards in the air. In the end, it was, it was all good. Um, but he continues to throw that interception early in the game. Rushing Utah state had a really, really rough night on the ground and they continued to just they, they pounded the middle on the ground a lot, and fans were starting to get extremely frustrated both in the stands. I mean, Utah State fans outnumbered UNLV fans in the stadium, and there was, there was frustration with Utah State's play calling, so much so that Blake Anderson addressed it after the game, saying basically that he hears the boos, you know, he hears when... Fans are upset that we continue to run it up the middle, but he, he pointed out that there were a few times that it worked and we picked up big yards when we needed them. And at the end of the day, a win's a win. And as Scotty G pointed out, there's no such thing as an ugly win. And whatever it took to get there obviously worked. It moved the ball enough to score more than the other guys. And so in the end, it did work. But a lot of frustration there from a fan standpoint now, I'll be the first one to, to tell you that fans know less than coaches, and I'm included in that. I know I don't know what's going on as much as the coaches. So there's there's a few things that could have been going on here. We'll go over the, uh, the receiving yards, and then we'll kind of dive into what Utah State's offense was doing and some theories that, that might be at play here. But um, Utah State receiving, we had Devin Tompkins atop the leaderboard, as he usually is, uh, with 12 receptions, 180 yards with two touchdowns. Uh, Derek Wright had a pretty good night as well with five targets uh, for 83 yards. Didn't score a touchdown. Uh, neither did Brandon Bowling or Justin McGriff. Each of them got one reception. Brandon Bowling for a 14-yard gain. Justin McGriff for 11. And that pretty much sums up the the entirety of the offensive production. Um Jumping back up to receiving, well, let's go over some of the individual receiver. Um, jumping back up to rushing, let's go over some of their individual numbers. Um, Calvin Tyler Jr., 17 carries for 60 yards, didn't score a touchdown. Elian Noah, however, uh, he had a lot of carries. He got seven for 37 yards, and he actually did score a touchdown, a big touchdown late in the game. So those were the two leading rushers for Utah State. John Gentry, who has been atop the leaderboard at times, ended up with seven carries for 10 yards. Not his best game, but like I said, running the ball against UNLV was really difficult. They stuffed us at the line 
more times than I could count and more times than I would care to go back and watch. They really had a great night of just stopping us right at the line, um, pushing us back at the line and things like that. So it was a tough running night for Utah State. Why did we keep running the ball then? That's that's the question I think that everyone's going to have. I'm sure it'll come up at the coaches show this week or at some point. I'm, I know it's... I'm sure it's happening, you know, it's coming up on on the message boards online and and all that. It's on Twitter. Why did we keep running the ball if it wasn't working? Well, I have I have a couple theories. I mean, the the first theory is is easy. It's lazy, but bad play calling is just bad play calling and it could have just been poor play calling. That I mean, at the end of the day, that's one possibility. It could have just been an inability to adjust. Um it could have been a somewhat blinded belief that we were bigger, faster, stronger than UNLV. And if we just kept punching it up the middle, that eventually we'd break through. And like we, like, like Blake Anderson said, it, it we did sometimes, um, but we were certainly stopped more than we got through um, by a significant margin. Uh, so that's one idea is that it was just bad play calling. I don't think that's what it is. I don't subscribe to that. One idea that I have been playing with is that Utah State um, and Blake Anderson particularly and his and his offensive coordinator, Coach Tucker, came into the game a little too confident. And I don't mean that as a bad thing and I don't and I don't mean to say that Blake Anderson and Anthony Tucker overlooked the rebels. I think they were very well prepared in their analysis of the rebels and and their their tape and what they had to offer what they bring to the table but I personally can't help but wonder that with a bye week and natural break in the season and coming back into UNLV really basically kicking off a majority of conference play I can't help but wonder if Utah State wanted to keep the playbook closed as much as they possibly could so as to not give teams that we play later on any extra film anything that they don't already have you're not going to get it against UNLV that kind of attitude like you can see we've played we've played tough teams you can see that film but you're not getting any more of out of UNLV you're not getting any fancy tricks coming out of a bye week you're not getting any any fancy tricks now that we're healthy and rested up we're just going to come in and play vanilla ice cream offense and you're going to get nothing particularly I think for this next game homecoming against Colorado State. So I think the idea was going into Vegas, a tough arena to play in. Any any win away is is a good win as Blake Anderson's fond of saying. He he's very um very much aware of the advantage that being at home brings. So I do think he was aware that being on a on an away field is tough. But I can't help but wonder if he decided to keep that playbook closed so that Colorado State, the defending champion San Jose State, Wyoming, went to 4-0 to open the season. Those guys don't get any extra film. They don't get to see any any little extra plays or what Logan Bonner's capable of. Um, you know, maybe they maybe they just try to keep some of that quiet. I don't know if that's the case. I have no idea. I just can't help but wonder if, you know, that was the idea, that was the hope that Blake Anderson and, and Anthony Tucker could keep keep some of their their plays and their abilities a little bit muted coming back into conference play. 
and save some of those plays for when we need them rather than waste them against UNLV. And that's a great strategy. That's perfectly fine. But I think if you're going to run that strategy, if that's your idea, I think you would have seen Coach Anderson come out with his offense and Anthony Tucker come out with his offense and be extremely aggressive to start the game, get a lead, and then just continually punch it right up the middle, run it up the gut, and just burn time off the clock, and then just completely close the playbook. But I think what you would have seen if if that was their mindset, I think you would have seen an explosion of offense, extremely aggressive play at the beginning to take a lead, and then sit back and and let the game unfold. That's probably how it would have looked if that was their mindset. Maybe Coach Anderson is just very confident in his team and knew that Paul Jackson's conditioning and Paul Jackson's training would would prove triumphant in the end at Utah and that Utah State would just find a way to win without ever opening the playbook. But I'm not sure if that's the case, especially later on in the game where you had a couple chances to take a lead and, and Utah State failed to do so. I I can't I, I don't know if I can fully subscribe to that school of thought either. Another school of thought that's out there is that Logan Bonner still isn't 100% healthy and that uh, maybe Andrew Peasley hasn't earned the, the respect or the trust of the coaching staff to go play for extended periods of time. Um, that one might be partially true. Uh, the, the, the part about Peasley, I personally feel is completely false. I think Andrew Peasley has more than proven himself as, as a capable player on this football team. So I don't think it's that he hasn't proved himself and that we're not going to put him out there even if Bonner's hurt. Bonner might still be banged up a little bit. And we, we would never know because they're going to keep that pretty pretty quiet. We know he was banged up going into bye week. And you know maybe it's just one of those things where even after an extra week of rest, he's still banged up. That might be the case. Um, and personally, I think what was going on on the offense is probably a combination of, of all of that. I think... I think Anthony Tucker thought that we would eventually start to break through. Um, I think we probably should have broken through at some point. I think John Gentry should have been able to break through a little bit more. Calvin Tyler Jr. for sure should have been able to get through a little bit more. Ileon Noah, the same. So, um, And yeah, maybe there's some truth to Logan Bonner being banged up. And if you can have him go out there and not have to throw a lot of long bombs and make him and make him sit in the pocket and get hit. If you can avoid that, you want to, obviously. Maybe they just want to give him one extra week without having him get lit up in the backfield. That's not a. That's never a bad idea. So I think it's probably a little bit of everything. Obviously, Utah State didn't want to come out and get real deep into their playbook, throwing trick plays at a UNLV team. That for sure is true. They, they want to stay as shallow in the playbook as possible. Logan Bonner still may be sore and banged up. Um we probably should have been able to break through. And at some point, you know, we, we did break through. So I think all, when all is said and done, I don't know that the play calling was really all that bad. Um, not that, not that the execution was bad either. I think we were going up a team. We were going up against a team that is a lot better than fans realize. So if, if you're really, really disappointed in this football team, I'm not sure what to tell you. UNLVs are just, they're, they're a perfectly fine football team. They're not, they're not one of those programs that's in complete disarray. They're well coached. They're hungry for a win. Um, and you know what? A win by four is still a win. So I think, I think the offense, I'm not as worried. The thing that looked a little bit weird to me 
and this is this is the only like real negative thing I really have to say about the offense is just that it seemed it did seem a little bit off at times. It almost seemed like they were kind of running an offense more suited for Andrew Peasley with Logan Bonner out on the field. Um, I that that criticism I think is completely fair. I've kind of heard uh, rumblings of of that, and yeah, the play calling was goofy. I don't think it was bad though, and so I do think the offense they were running with that kind of play action, running up the gut, quarterback has the option to keep it, catch an edge running, or sit back in the pocket and throw. That's that's very much where Andrew Peasley kind of thrives. And so it did kind of seem like they were running a lot of plays that would have been great for Andrew Peasley. Like it almost like it was almost like they had the wrong quarterback out there for the plays that they were running. Um but at the end of the day they they win the game. They get they got the offense rolling and yeah, honestly, it's it's a great opportunity against UNLV to try to try to expand Logan Bonner's game and just not have him sit in the backfield and get lit up and in the backfield on if somebody blitzes through. So the offense, I think, was just fine. It wasn't spectacular or dazzling or anything, and it's going to have to step things up if they're going to win some of these games going forward, particularly against I think Colorado State, which is probably the toughest game on the schedule. Uh, but you still have the the defending champs um, in California. We don't know a lot about that team and, and Wyoming, who's kind of a really good, weird team as well. So uh, the offense is going to have to improve if they want to win out and have a chance of playing in the championship game. Uh, but they, they were fine. The defense looked really, really good. The defense has been um, really good other than the inability to stop the run. And it wasn't even the inability to stop the run game itself. It was just Charles Williams. If you remove Charles Williams from this game, uh, Utah State wins in a blowout, and UNLV would have ended up with like 100 yards probably. Well, let's see. They had 111 yards in the air, 219 on the ground, but 221 of them belonged to Charles Williams. So without Charles Williams, they have negative two yards on the ground and 111 yards in the air. So zero touchdowns. They don't find the end zone without that kid. So you remove Charles Williams from the equation and it's a completely different game. I'm telling you, this kid's an animal. This kid is an absolute beast. He's fast. He's strong. Uh, like I said, he's only five, nine. Um, but man, that kid, that kid can move the ball. And if you remove him from the game, Utah State forced UNLV into negative rushing yards. So I I know that Utah State's defense looked bad because Charles Williams made us look bad. But hey, Charles Williams is going to make a lot of defenses look bad. He's going to make everybody look bad, especially as he continues to develop as a player. He's going to make everybody look bad. So I, I'm not worried about the defense. The Secondary was really, really good. We ended up with two interceptions on the night. I know, I know one was a little bit weird. They, it was a, it was a right at the end of the game. UNLV was trying to put together a drive that would have uh, won the game for the Rebels after Utah State took the lead. And it was kind of like bobbled up in the air. I mean, the guy, the uh, UNLV catches the ball, goes down, it gets gets ripped out and kind of gets bobbled around. We come down with it. They called it an interception rather than a reception and down on contact. They reviewed it, and the uh, the call ended up standing. It was reviewed and, and stayed, so I don't know what to tell you other than that's that was the call. Um, the other one was pretty clear, uh, pretty clean cut. 
Um, but yeah, both of them, both of them were Shaq Bond. The first one was kind of uh, right on the edge of the sideline. Great read. He just read the ball, jumped his receiver, grabbed it, grabbed it right out of the air, and then the other one was kind of bobbled up in the air. So Shaq Bond had himself a really, really good night. And let's just go over the defense real quick, everybody else. Shaq Bond with nine total tackles, six of them solo. Didn't get a sack, but he did get half a tackle for loss uh, to go along with his two interceptions. Hunter Reynolds did a great job in the backfield as well with seven total tackles, uh, four of them solo. He got a sack and a total and a tackle for loss. Uh, Cash Gilliam as well with seven tackles, four solo, and a tackle for loss. A.J. Vong Pachung went out there, got, got himself six tackles. Two of them were solo. And then Justin Rice with five tackles, one solo, half a tackle for loss. Uh, Nick Henniger was right there kind of with Justin Rice with four total tackles and one tackle, uh, half a tackle for loss. So really when you look at it, a great, uh, great defensive performance. You're also going to see a familiar name on defense. A familiar name, not a familiar name on defense, Devin Tompkins with a tackle, a solo tackle. That's right, Devin Tompkins basically saved a pick six uh, on that interception that Logan Bonner threw. Devin Tompkins was able to track him down, get the tackle before he was able to find the end zone. So uh, Devin Tompkins with a career night on both sides of the field. And we haven't even gotten to the MVP of the night, Mr. Savon Scarver. The Vegas kid in his hometown returned a kickoff for a touchdown and is now tied for the all-time NCAA record. Savon Scarver is an unbelievable talent. And this accomplishment, I think, brings up a significant question that I've had for a few weeks now. I actually talked about it on the show a couple weeks ago, and then and it didn't end up making the final cut. We ended up cutting that little segment out. Um, just because we were we were kind of out of time. But I want to know why we have one of the fastest guys in the conference in Savon Scarver, and he only plays on kickoffs. I want to know how we how we are not getting that kid more involved with the game. If I had one complaint with the offense um, halfway through the season, if I were to do, you know, halfway through the season, mid-season review, that's my one complaint. That is my one biggest complaint. That is my biggest question. And it's it's a hard question. I don't know the answer um, because there doesn't seem to be an excuse. I don't care if he doesn't have hands. You find a way to get him the ball, get him blockers, and you put some green grass in front of the kid, and there's not very many guys in the conference that can track him down. One-on-one in a foot race, there's not many guys in the conference that can beat him, that can even catch up to him with a head start. This kid is lightning fast with incredible instincts. I mean, the kid can like move on a dime. He can cut, he can jump, he can run. And he almost never sees the field. And I I don't know that I don't know that there's an excuse for that. Like I said, if it's the hands, you have Logan Bonner walk the ball over to him set it in his lap, put it in his hands, and you just let him run. You find a way around the hands. You pitch it to him. A little little five-yard pitch. Just let him grab it and run. If it's that he's uncomfortable in traffic at the line, I'm not sure if that's true or if that's really possible. I mean, he goes through traffic all the time. Put him on the edge. Block for him. 
Don't run. Don't. I mean, I'm not saying run the guy up the middle. He's not built for that, but he's faster than anybody in the conference probably. So I think in the wake of this great, fantastic, unbelievable accomplishment for Savon Scarver, you can't help but wonder why he's not being used more on offense. Um, and we'll talk about that more. I want to get some other people's opinions on that and maybe bring that up on, on a show where I have Jacob or somebody else talking uh, about that. But, uh, so we, we will talk about that more. Why is he not playing? But in the meantime, let's just marvel at the kid and just understand that this kid is, he's an unbelievable talent. He's one of the best, he's one of the best talents that we've had at Utah state. And he's probably one of, if not the best player at his specific role that we've ever had at Utah State in the history of football in in Utah State's history I mean we've had good quarterbacks we've had good running backs we've had good wide receivers but I don't know that we've ever had a kid that had such a high level of mastery over his position as Savon Scarver the kid's unbelievable and he just can't be stopped that's why he has the all-time record that's why he's tied for first in the all-time record of of kicks returned he just needs one more to be alone at the top, and I really hope the kid gets it. He deserves it. We'll talk more about Savon. By the way, Savon is a stand-up character. He's one of the funniest kids you'll ever meet. Great guy. We love Savon. We love Savon Scarver. So enjoy enjoy watching him play football. Um, let's move on now just to the, the rest of the conference. I think that's enough for the UNLV game. Like I said, it was a it was a wild game. I would have loved to win by more than four, but hey, that's what happens, and a win's a win. Let's look around the conference, so really briefly. Um, it was a great week of conference college football, and it was a significant week for Utah State, as we kind of alluded to at the top of the show. The week started off for the Mountain West with San Diego State playing our defending champions in well, ended up becoming an overtime game with the San Diego State Aztecs beating the San Jose State Spartans by only three points. That game was in San Jose, and San Jose continues to just confuse me to no end. There are probably three teams in the Mountain West that I have yet to figure out. Really four, honestly, if I'm being honest. I think Utah State would probably fit in that category. If I were to strip all bias away from the the way I look at the Aggies, they kind of confuse me a little bit. I don't know what they're capable of, but the three the three teams that I really can't figure out are San Jose, Wyoming, and Colorado State. Those three teams are just weird. And San Jose, after losing last week to Colorado State, thirty two to fourteen, come back and lose to San Jose or San Diego State, a team in the top twenty five. 24 at the time and they lose by three in overtime at home it just they're weird i'm i'm not i'm not excited to play them later on in the year i mean i'm excited to play them because it's it's football but i like that could be a tough game i'm not dreading it i don't think it's a loss but i'm not gonna pencil it in as a w quite yet either they're just weird so they lose to the san diego state aztecs who continue to roll on probably the best team in the conference I say probably because we don't we don't know. The polls would indicate they are. They're they're ranked. Uh, they moved up to twenty two with their win. 
So the polls would indicate that they're the best, but I'm not convinced that they are that much better than Nevada or even Fresno, who's kind of fallen out of the top 25, but only because they lost a fluke game to Hawaii in Hawaii. So yeah, uh, San, San Diego State continues to roll on. Possibly one of the best teams in the conference. Utah State with the win over UNLV in Vegas, 28-24. to Fresno shut out the Wyoming Cowboys. This game, this game is really... I think it's I think it's a little bit telling. Fresno State is better than people nationally now are giving them credit for because they have the loss. Fresno State is the same team that they have been all year. They're that same bulldog defense, that same bulldog offense. They held Wyoming, who earlier in the year scored 50 and 45 points in back-to-back games to zero points. Fresno shut those guys out. They only scored 17, but they win 17 to zero. I think this game is telling. I think Wyoming... Not that they were like overrated or anything, but I think that 4-0 start got people a little too hyped for the Cowboys. That was a bit inflated, I think. I think this was kind of a good rebalancing game for, for fans in the Mountain West and across the country to kind of be like, oh, Fresno State's really good, Wyoming's maybe not quite as good. Um, so that game went about how I thought it would, but before the game, I mean... I, like I said, my gut says Fresno, but, you know, anything could have happened. So Fresno takes care of business, kind of shows that they are one of the best teams in the conference with a with a statement 17-0 win over uh, Wyoming. And then Colorado State, our upcoming opponent, beat New Mexico 36-7. to Big win, um, but it's just, a, uh, it's just a win where you're taking care of business. Um, not much to say on this one. This is an unfortunate matchup for the Rams from Utah State's perspective. We would have loved for the Rams to have to play Fresno or Nevada or Wyoming or someone else this week because New Mexico is not, not a great football team this uh, this this year. Uh, the power rankings in the Mountain West have kind of had them towards the, towards the bottom but not quite the bottom until this week UNLV actually kind of leapfrogged them in, in most power rankings and New Mexico is kind of regarded as the worst team in the conference. So we would have loved to see the Rams go out and have to play somebody a little bit tougher just so we could get a better look at them because they just confuse me. I don't know what they are. Um, but they, they go in and take care of business against New Mexico, 36-7. to Then another big game for Utah State, the big game for Utah State outside of our own Air Force, taking on the Boise State Broncos. Uh, the Academy gets in there in Boise on the Smurf turf, and they put together a gritty win, 24-17, to in a really well-matched game, just going through scoring by quarters, 7-7 to in the first, 14-7 to for Air Force in the second quarter, third quarter, goose eggs, fourth quarter, they both get a field goal. Really well-matched game between... I think probably the best team in the division, the Air Force Academy versus the perennial champion of our division, the Boise State Broncos. Great game, great football, and a great outcome for Utah State as Utah State has the tiebreaker against Air Force. Now Boise State has two conference losses. Utah State, all they have to do is keep winning games and there is nothing anybody else can do to keep them out of that championship game. So that's a huge game for Utah State. We were really rooting for we were rooting for two things for the past few weeks 
and it was for Air Force to win games and Boise to lose a second game, or for Boise to lose two games, and that happened at the same time. Big-time win for the Falcons and big-time win for Utah State. Air Force now needs Utah State to drop a game for them to be back at the top of the division, but we're not going to do that. We're going to keep winning games, hopefully. We're back on top in the division, thanks in part to the Air Force Falcons, and thanks in part to our own team for keep they keep winning. So they deserve their credit if they if they continue to win too. But that that was a big game for for Utah State for Air Force to to win that game. The last game of the of the conference was Nevada beating Hawaii. It was in Reno, but a pretty big win, thirty four to seventeen. Nevada just taking care of business. As I've said, Nevada is probably one. I mean, they're, they're one of the best teams in the conference. They might be the best team in the conference. The best team in the conference is probably in the West Division. As much as I don't want to admit that, I wish I could say that it was Utah State. It's not. Utah State might not even be the best team in the division, although we have a win against probably the best team in the division. I think it's probably Air Force in the Mountain Division. And... If that's true, Utah State's got to be right up there, too, because we we beat Air Force. We only have one conference loss. But at any rate, the Western Division um, is really tough. Nevada gets a win, taking care of business over Hawaii. Nevada looks good. Um, the games that are really going to start to shape that side of the conference, I think the real groundbreaking division-shaping games in our division have kind of already happened between you know, kind of the, the clash of the Titans at the top with Utah State has already played Boise State and Air Force. Air Force and Boise have already played. So the top teams in our division have already played. That's not true on the on the Western Division. So we're going to learn a lot more about the, that division when Nevada plays Fresno here in this next week than when they play San Diego State and when San Diego State plays Fresno as well. So a lot more still to come on that side of the division uh, to hopefully sort out who we will be playing in the Mountain West Championship game who we could be hosting in the Mountain in the Mountain West Championship game. But that's all we have for you today. Thanks again for tuning in. Sorry for the delay, um, but again, I was uh, I was traveling with uh, for, for the team down in Vegas, so I uh, was not able to get the show out on time. But hopefully it was just as informative the day, the day after. Um, before we go, let's take a quick look at the top 25, any relevant teams. We already talked about how New Mexico State moved slightly up to 22. No one else is really in the top 25. Um, I'm not sure how Fresno and Nevada are still not really, really close. They're not even they're not even receiving votes to get in. Which kind of which which kind of which completely surprises me. I, I have no idea how that's possible with the wins that those guys have, uh, particularly Fresno. And Air Force is getting votes. They have 19. Utah State's not going to not gonna see the top 25, even with a win against Air Force. Air Force could get in probably before Utah State does. Um, but for Utah State to get in, Air Force would probably have to get in, and then we'd have to keep winning. Um, and so for Utah State to get in, we'd probably have to be the third team in the conference to get in, um, especially with BYU falling completely out now. They've lost two in a row. Um, our two losses come to unranked teams. So we'll see if Utah State can get in. It doesn't really matter. It's it's good to get in. It's fun. It's obviously really good for the program. So I will leave you with that. Um, I don't have anything else. 
This game coming up is a huge one. Make sure you are getting tickets if you haven't already. I know ticket sales have kind of been steadily climbing throughout the year as we continue to win games, but we're getting into that chilly season. We're getting into hoodie season. Don't let that be an excuse to miss games. Get get to Maverick Stadium, bundle up, and be there. Um, I promise you it's it's worth it. This Utah State team is already having a historic season. And if they continue to win, you're not going to want to miss history being made game by game. So if you haven't got your tickets already, it's a 7.30 kickoff in the Mav. It's going to be on CBS Sports Network, but that doesn't matter to you because you're going to be in the stadium anyways. I will leave you with that. Now I will really leave you. And hope to see you in the stadium this Friday for homecoming week. Go Aggies.